Welcome to the DOS Champions Podcast. It is the 16th of December. We are fortunate enough to be joined by uh, Alexis Cat of the Memphis Americans, professional women's soccer player. Alexis, thank you for being here. It's awesome that you're on the pod. Um, how are you? Hey, guys. I'm doing fantastic. We got a little time off during the day and trainings at night, so just trying to stay relaxed. All right. Well, we're keep, we're keeping you busy. Um, there's no relaxation on the DOS Champion Pod, DOS Champions podcast. We're going to keep you on your toes in this one. Um, but so I, I would love if you could like just explain your background to the fans listening at, at home. I, as I understand, uh, you were born in Chile, but you went to Purdue. Like, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you came into the position that you're in today. Sure. Um, so yeah, I was born in Chile. Uh, I have a twin sister. She and I were both born there and we were adopted as, as babies. So, um, my parents now brought us back to the States after a few months and I, I grew up in Illinois and in Indiana. And, um, surprisingly, you know, you grow up in Indiana, you're, you play basketball. That is what you do. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought, I mean, I really did. I thought I was going to Yukon, Tennessee. Like that is, that's the path I had for myself. Um, but also being in a small little farm town, you do everything. If you're an athlete, you kind of play everything. You don't really specialize. Um, so I was playing five sports at a time and um, soccer just kind of stuck with me. Uh, I think because basketball didn't work out. I grew right away in sixth grade and then not anymore. So I, uh, I didn't see that for me, which was, which was sad. I, I was a little heartbroken for it, but I just, I stuck with soccer just because, and I ended up uh, playing at Purdue. And then um, I kind of thought that was it. I didn't have any knowledge of, of clubs and academies and that sort of thing either. So I, I eventually found myself back, back into the game playing and uh, semi-pro for a while and then moving on from there. Um, and I did enough networking to, to know the coach of the Memphis Americans. And so when this opportunity came up, I uh, was fortunate to be the, the first one that he called to bring on. So I'm that's really awesome. I can totally, I can totally understand what it's like to have dreams of being a basketball player and not fulfilling them. I also never grew past the point of like five, seven, and I used to go outside and wear Michael Jordan jerseys or Magic Johnson or Shaquille O'Neal jerseys and lower the hoop to like three feet and just do like 360 dunks and hey. just look in the mirror thinking like one day my dreams are going to come true and I'm going to be a NBA player. But um, the the lack of verticality, as Greg Berhalter would say, was my was uh, the damning uh, trait that kept me out of basketball. But that's a that's a really interesting story. Um and it's awesome that through the network that you had, you were able to go play for Memphis. But there was a there was a period of time, um, was it post college, pre professional soccer, that you actually trained with the Chilean national team? Yeah. Um, so the opportunity that I had that kind of re sparked everything was in Indiana. I was back visiting at Purdue and just happened to be at the same place as the uh, the assistant coach for the Haitian national team. Um, and, and by way of, uh, another American coach bringing them to the States cause they had lost their coach in the earthquake in 2010. Um, they were competing in the WPSL. So I was given the opportunity to play for that team. And so coincidentally trained with the Haitian national team for two years. 
Uh, and I had told them from the very beginning, I was like, I, I don't know how to play for Chile, but that's what I want to do. And was, and was sold on that's what would eventually happen. And I, I ended up having to kind of go about it myself, um, unfortunately. So it, it, it worked out, but it didn't work out. Uh, cause I don't know what I'm doing, but, um, I called up the Federation. I was like, Hey, I'm really interested in playing. I was born there. I, you know, I'm, I'm eligible to, to compete. I would love to come and play, you know, for a club team. And they're like, you know, we don't know who you are, but you can come check it out. So I went to go, um, on a trial with a, with a club team. I was there with Colo Colo and then, uh, went and did a couple of sessions with the, the U twenties. Um, cause the senior team was, was out of qualification. So they were only training so much, uh, and the U twenties were very active. So I got to train with them. They, the national team coach said, I'm very interested, um, you know, just come back and play in the club system until we kind of ramp up again. And so I um, went home for a little bit and then prepared myself to, to move. And I moved my entire life over to, over to Chile to go do this. And there was even, there was some mishaps with even getting in to do that, but which, I mean, we can talk about or not, but I, uh, I, I did get to experience playing with the U twenties and with the, with the national team, but mostly just, um, just for club over there. It's a. Uh, it's really interesting that you you were able to pursue, uh, you know, getting to reconnect with where you were born. I mm-hmm. have to imagine that was a, a pretty satisfying experience, um, you know. And you don't know where the road's going to lead until you try. Something I'm really interested to learn more about is what what's the big differences um, between going down to somewhere like Chile or even since you trained with the the Haitian national team a little bit. Um, what were some of the big things that stuck out in terms of, uh, I guess, both on and off the field uh, culture and, and training methods and, and how everyone interacts? Sure. Um, I think, you know, the American way has always been disciplined, right? We, we outwork everybody. We're more athletic uh, and we have a, a crazy work ethic and we're, you know, we show up on time, we start on time. Um and people really do take it seriously, even outside of their sport. I think um, with with the Haitian team, we did have an American environment, so there was still that that discipline. Um, but they were not as used to it, you know. Back home, they didn't. They kind of had a little bit more leeway, being you know the the professionals of their country, and um, that was a big adjustment for them is to understand. You know, we're going to do the same warm up every single day. So like, just like, don't act like you don't know what's going on, like show up, you know, where to be. And for that simplicity to where people don't have to think as much is, is the goal. You just show up and play. Um, and so that took a while for them to adjust. Um, but the Haitian team is very, very technically sound. They, they can juggle in their sleep. They'll be on the telephone, like before practice, just juggling, and they, if, if you don't pass it exactly to their foot, they don't go after it. They don't go after it. And being like American, I'm like, I'm pretty much know that anything within a 10 yard radius is mine. Um, so that, that was a little frustrating for me, but it made me better. I'm like, well, I don't have a choice now. 
because uh, I, even though I was in my own comfortable environment in Indiana, I still had to adjust to them. I had to learn their language and their style of play, um, which was, which was, it was tough, but I, I also enjoyed doing it. Um, just kind of being able to feel like I was one of them and they kind of made me feel I was honorary Haitian, um, for those two years. Um, Chile is, is a little bit mixture of both. They did, they didn't have as much, um, discipline as far as like, you know, you have to start right on time. Cause I was at like the first practice and I asked the captain, um, it was Tiana Endler who just, um, won like the best goalkeeper in the world this month, by the way. So super proud of her. Um, nice. she played in, I think she played in South Florida for college, um, before moving on, she's played at a ton of big clubs in, in Europe, which is awesome. Um, and I was like, you know, we're supposed to start already. Like some people are still in the locker room and we had to walk like really far to get out to where we were practicing. And I was like, is that like just a thing? And she's like, we win. We win all the time. Like we work when we need to, when practice actually starts, like it's not that big a deal. It's like, Okay good enough for me, you know, but, um, as far as I guess Chile, I actually got to experience living there in the country. Haiti, I did not. Um, the people there are very supportive of, of the sport in general. Cause that's, you know, something you can, you can play anytime, anywhere. You don't really need any equipment. Um, so they love the sport overall. There wasn't as much support for the women's side, um, as the men's, you know, the, the men's team is doing very well from the, excuse me, very well for themselves. Um, and, you know, Alexis Sanchez, Arturo Vidal, they're, they're world renowned. So everyone's kind of big fans of them. Um, and it was really, really hard to get support on that women's side. And I think in the U S even though we can say there's not as much support and respect for women, there's still, you know, there's the college high school, like you're still filling up, filling up stadiums. You know, you have a lot of a lot of support here because girls playing sports in the U.S. is is not so taboo. That's super interesting. Um, so we're going to dive into the state of affairs um, in women's soccer in the United States. But why don't we catch up on um, what's happening with you currently? You, t- you talked a little bit about your past. Um, right now, you're playing women's professional ball. Mm-hmm. Um the 10 is the position you say you prefer to play. Although it sounds like you've been uh, stuck in the back lines as of late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, I'm in the NISL. It's the national indoor soccer league and it's the first year for it. And it's modeled after both the MASL, the men's professional, and also a little bit the USL. Um, and they, every market that has a team has to have both men's and women's. And they're, we're contracted the same, we're treated the same, sponsored the same. We play games back to back. So our schedule is always the same. We'll travel together. And I, uh, you know, coming from those experiences I just mentioned where, you know, the girls are not getting near the same uh, attention, compensation, resources, field space, that sort of thing. It's really nice that we get to be all together as a team. Um, so anyway, that little that little spiel. Um, yeah, the 10, the 10 is really important to me because it, it encompasses every position I've, I've played in every club that I've gone to, I played somewhere differently. Um, and that's kind of 
me as a person. I've done, a, I've worked for a lot of startups because I'm like decent at a lot of things, but I'm not great at anyone. Like I've never been that person. That's like your, your, your target forward every single time. Like I'm not lethal in front of the net. I'm not, you know, the, the most stable in the back all the time, but I'm, I'm good enough to do all of that. So I was brought in as a midfielder, um, but even before we started and saw all the girls that we had, um, you know, my coach had mentioned, he's like, you know, you can organize out of the back and you have, I'm, I'm the only, currently the only female player um, that has experience in the, in the indoor game. Um, so I can at least hold it down back there. And I, and I played defense before, so I'm excited to be back there. Um, Cause you just, I get to see everything from there. Um, and then just kind of bring a little bit of my experience and, and composure to the team. Uh, something that I'm kind of curious about now um, that the 10 is your, is your preference. Did you have anyone growing up that kind of made you think like, that's, that's how I want to, uh, that's how I want to play. Or is this something that you've kind of uh, grown into as, you know, opportunities presented themselves and as you grew as a player? I honestly, I didn't watch a whole lot of soccer. I didn't, the only recollection I have of paying attention was in middle school where we all thought, you know, Taylor Twelman, Landon Donovan, we thought they were cute. And that's like, that. that's all I really remember. I don't remember watching it. You know, I knew who Alexi Lawless was, um, more so on the men's side. And I do know Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain. I know who they are. I did not watch them. I like I you know I said Indiana big basketball big basketball girl and um I really thought that's what I was going to do you know love and basketball was how my life was going to turn out um so no I didn't I I didn't grow up with that you know and, and we're in Indiana we're in the middle of of St. Louis and in Indy and Cincinnati so like you we still didn't really have a big tradition in my family to be going to sporting events. So I don't even have, you know, like I I'm envious of a lot of the like premier league and European families. Cause they kind of grew up with the team and that's, that's who they love and it's near and dear to their heart their entire lives. So I, I do not have that. Um, so I just kind of, I just kind of played where I was put almost. I didn't always have a preference just because, I could play anywhere. So I was like, as long as I'm on the field, I'm, I'm good with that. And that's kind of why I started playing the seven and 11 when I went to Chile. Cause they're like, can you play there? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, I guess so I can now. And same with Haiti. I, I wanted to play midfield and they had a ton of midfielders and they only had four defenders. So I'm like, well, I only have to beat one of these girls. And I did, but it was, unfortunately it was a left back. And that's like the one position <laughs> ever. I hated it. Like I was, I was our best option at left back, but it was not even close to my best position. So That's, I, yeah, this is actually to me really interesting because it feels like you kind of, and in some ways like fell into what these preferences ended up being. And you seem to have a pretty good sense for what it means to be like a member of, of a team. Obviously, you know, anybody that plays soccer is a member of a team, but you were willing to, uh, try out this position, try out that position. And uh, something you had mentioned before we got 
into recording here was um, how you you know you want to build awareness for the six. I wonder how much uh, of the experience that you're talking about here plays into that um, you know being a, a team centric aspect, and then uh, yeah, just like say more about that, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of one of my, my little goals for, oh, I don't, Oh, I just called it little. That's such a female thing. Um, one of my goals for my big goal. future, a big goal for my future is to, yes, to highlight the sixes. Um, and that's obviously on and off the field. There are plenty of people in, in non-athletic jobs who I feel fill that role. You know, they're the behind the scenes. Everyone wants to talk to the CEO, the, you know, the, the founders, um, the goal scorers, the strikers, or even the goalkeepers, but nobody, nobody knows about the sixes. You don't have, you don't have the same stats, you know, is when people are being recruited, like, Oh, how many goals did they score? How, like, what's their percentage out of the back? You know, no one's looking, no one's looking at that position. And I, I wasn't introduced to it. Um, like as a, as a six in that formation until a while later in life. Cause you know, in, in America, we didn't have the numbered system. You know, we just kind of, we just kind of played wherever. I mean, the only time I ever got close to it was I played stopper back in the stopper sweeper days. Uh, I think that was actually my first position now that I think about it. So that's interesting, but it's, I, I didn't like it. I only had to try it one time in practice, but in the back line, I'm very comfortable. You know where you need to be in the midfield, you know where you need to be, but that defensive spot that's kind of in between, I just felt like I was spending so much time trying to make sure I was in the right position than being able to play my game. Yeah. The six is the Ringo star of the (laughs) soccer field. Yeah. There's a, I, I think, I don't know if this saying is always applied to the six necessarily, but it's the kind of position where it's, if you watch the game, you might never see that player, but if you watch that player, you're going to see the entire game. And, um, I wonder with, cause you're, you're using it metaphorically even for people that are maybe underappreciated or kind of the linchpin of, of an organization or whatever. And you had mentioned a little bit before the call about, uh, wanting to engage in some mentorship. I, I feel like there's a connection here between these things because it's very easy to feel um, underappreciated if you're, what you're doing isn't isn't a, a glorious pursuit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder if that type of thing ties into your ambition to you know help people uh, mentor people and, and make them see the value in themselves maybe or how, how do you feel about that? Um, I hadn't thought about it like that necessarily, but I, I do, it does resonate. I mean, it sounds, it sounds right. Um, I, I don't know if it's, you know, people say they have imposter, imposter syndrome, you know, they feel like they, they're in a position, but they shouldn't belong there. And I think, um, I think I have that sometimes, um, especially in, in, in soccer positions where, you know, like I said, I'm like sort of good, but not great. So sometimes I'm like, you know, by playing in this league, even and playing in the places that I've been until, you know, so far so good since we're just starting, but in, you know, in Chile and in Haiti, and even I played some W UWS, which is second division in the States, I had really bad experiences. So, and it's like, am I just in the wrong place? Uh, you know, uh, physically or am I not good enough? Like it was, cause I felt like there's so much disrespect 
Um, so I feel like I put a lot, I'm very coachable. I work my ass off all the time. I'm going to be your hardest worker on the field. Doesn't mean I'm the best one. Doesn't mean I'm great technically, but regardless of how I'm feeling that day, I'm going to be the hardest worker on the field. And a lot of that goes, goes unnoticed. And so I hated that so much for years. And I think that's kind of where I first was like, you know, I don't want other people to have to, to go through that. And maybe the more that I highlight them, I mean, maybe an intern will kind of help me as well. Um, you know, we all do, we all do things for a little bit of selfish reasons. So I'm not afraid to admit that. I heard a lot of Indiana coming out on you there. I'm going to be the hardest <laughs> worker on the field. That's so Indiana of you. Um, <laughs> there's, there really is nothing in my experience better in life than being of use to somebody and being a mentor to people, especially um, people who you know are going to walk down a challenging road should they choose to be a female athlete. I think that's mm -hmm. a, a very admirable thing to do. Yeah. And I I used to work for, I used to coach at the Indiana Fire Academy. It's kind of like the, so I think it is, I don't know if it's technically a feeder, I think it is into the Chicago Fire. And I worked with the U14 girls. And you realize that you are coaching them, but you're helping them with so much more than that. And not everyone is going to see that. And maybe they don't feel that that's their, um, that's their role to see it. Um, but I think as, you know, a fellow female athlete and just a female and woman in general, like I, I almost put more emphasis on helping them be like good players, but better people is a big part of my coaching philosophy. And so I started noticing like, I wish I could work with all like you 14, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old girls because they need that female presence, especially when it, you know, they're going through middle school, transition to high school. They need that because they might not have it at, and they might not have it at home or it's just like, it's, it's different. You know, not everyone goes to their mom for everything. You kind of need somebody else. And when you're doing a sport, especially at an insecure time, like being a teen, that vulnerability is is crucial to how you're going to perform. And yeah, that absolutely. Like uh, you know, beyond the X's and O's is a is a really good thing, I think to to get at here. Um, you can tell kids um, how to execute things and how it all set up in an ideal world, but their ability to go out and perform and and actually execute is so much more based on the mental side of it. Um, and that is far more transferable to the real world uh, than than strategy in soccer. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's to me a really really meaningful um, pursuit there. I, I feel like this kind of brings us into uh, mental health with athletes in general too. Maybe we're not talking about you know um, uh, teenage angst quite as much it, with with this part of it, but that there certainly is uh, mental health stuff going on. Um, I guess, you know, the work that it takes to be a pro, pro athlete would probably be fairly draining. Uh, yeah, I guess, can you talk a little bit about, about that and, and how you feel about, uh, you know, mental, uh, mental health in, in general for athletes and kind of how uh, the assessment of them, maybe not as people uh, so much when people are talking about them, mm -hmm. uh, impacts the way that they're, they're viewed and the way they view themselves. Yeah, I actually had a, a great conversation with um, Lisa Bontasumi. She's the mental health specialist for the Oakland Roots. Uh, I think she's actually the first like hired 
um, specialist by a team also, which is awesome. Um, but we kind of were discussing athletes as being pawns of people's entertainment. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes there is a small place for that to just kind of, you do have to leave everything to the side and, and perform. But because of that, if you don't have a way to tend to those things, you're, you know, leaving off the pitch, leaving on the sidelines, it's, it's going to bleed into it and it's going to affect it. Um, so I think there's two sides to it. You have the one where we were, we're dealing with people's perceptions of us because, you know, they are, they are the fan base. They are who is, you know, buying tickets and merch and that sort of thing. So you, you do want to somewhat people please, but they have to understand that we are always having to perform when we have practice every day. We can't just, you know, go into an office and glide through the glide through our hours, you know, and I, and I did a couple internships and I've, I've had jobs where I've sat in an office. So, I mean, no, no disrespect. I understand, but you're there the entire time. We're not, might not be there eight hours a day, but you are always on, you're always performing. You cannot take time off. You cannot slack. And if you do, it's, it's an instant, um, what word do I want to use? Consequence. And, you know, like in, even in performance game settings, LeBron, if he scores 20 points, I say this a lot. So if he scores 20 points instead of 40, everyone's down his throat. Like he's like, he's a failure. And regardless if, if he just was sharing more responsibility or had something going on, like who, who are people that are not even in basketball, not even in athletics to, to, to attack him in that kind of way. Um, and then you also have our own perceptions of ourselves. So not just how the fans are treating it, but like, it's still a job, you know, and, and we have to decide how to handle our own vulnerability because for female athletes, we're expected to be more emotional. And even with that expectation, we don't have a place to put it. If that makes sense. Um, we still have to figure out how to deal with it our own selves. Um, and, and guys, I think, are in a tougher position because they're almost expected to not be vulnerable at all. Well, they all should be. You know, they're putting, they're putting themselves on the line all the time. And they, you know, you have, excuse my language, asshats like Skip Bayless, who's going to say, you know, Dak Prescott for showing a little bit of vulnerability during um, – I mean, we're yeah. still in COVID, but during last year of oh, yeah. COVID, you know, having to deal with, with death in the midst of COVID, in the midst of still having to play. And he, he tried to say he wasn't a leader for that. And I think if everyone were able to, you know, maybe not publicly, but at least somewhat process what they're going through, like I said, people are going to perform better and it's just going to be more easy going. Cause instead of like, why do I have to protect everyone else whenever I'm the one going through something? Yeah, uh, if we were all robots, then Ryan um, caught the beginning of that, but I lost you on mute and Zencaster. Will you pick it up one more time? Uh, yeah, sorry about that. The um, if we are all robots, then you know life would be a lot less interesting. Uh, 
one of the things that I think is is pertinent here is a lot of these young athletes end up maturing um, in the in the public light, and I have to imagine that can be a a pretty you know stark emotional experience. Um, someone that comes to mind, uh, and I, I guess I'd like to get your thoughts on is, is Simone Biles specifically. Mm-hmm. She, uh, you know, has had great success as an athlete, but also uh, kind of a rough time in the public light. What's your assessment of that situation? Yeah. Um, yeah, especially in gymnastics where they, they really do start young like you have to. Um, and and having to process everything with with um, the public just being a helicopter parent almost is I, I cannot imagine. And Fortunately, you know, I don't relate to that, but the, she, she had such a vulnerability. And when she was performing, she's a, you know, she's at, when you're at the Olympics, which again, this is just me empathizing. I have not been there, but you, you are on edge. You are at your highest point of, of stimulation. And so even the smallest thing, you might not react how you normally would react if you were in a a more calm setting. And, um, you know, to be going through anything traumatic on the outside of that and still saying, you know, I am a professional, like I, I'm at the Olympics, like if I can just hold off, you know, for a couple more days and just perform and then I'll deal with it. We can all say that you can tell yourself that, but having to actually do it is, is gotta be damn near impossible. And then, you know, she's saying that there's even things going on within her, within her head, you know, it was messing with her. Like, you know, she's, she's dizzy and you cannot possibly go and do what gymnasts do if you are not 100% in the right mindset. And especially if there's something internal going on that it's not even like you processing it, it's just your body giving you signals. I mean, you have, you have to listen to that. And she did. And I'm, I, I can't imagine having to, to step away the way that she had to step away. Um, and I cannot, I, I cannot understand how much slack she got for it. She did get a lot of praise and she did get a lot of support and maybe we should be focusing on that instead of being angry about the people that didn't treat it very well. But I mean, that just goes, that just goes to show how intense it is that she had to say, no, I cannot do that. I cannot perform right now. And she like, and that she was a shoe in, right? Like that would just would have been, more accolades for her. And she, she was able to say, no, I am not ready. I I'm, this is not worth hurting myself more. Cause who knows what could have happened. It takes, it takes probably less than a half a second for her to lose her focus or lose any vision. And she, while she's flipping through the air, doing her routine and she, you know, could potentially be hurt for the rest of her life. And that's, that's not worth it. Yeah, this idea of having to mature in the public light's always been difficult for me to accept because as critics, and you mentioned Skip Bayless, who's a total asshat, um, talk about how much we rip these athletes. And the truth is, is everybody expects perfection out of them. They work an inordinate amount of hours. The things that we take for granted, such as even being able to go out and enjoy some deep dish, they, you know, they're on di- many of these athletes are on diet restrictions that don't allow them to enjoy the basic things in life. Yep. Um, and especially in the COVID setting, um, there's already a bit of a mental health crisis going on, but you compound that with not being able to have social interactions. It's, um, it's incredibly difficult. 
And what I often think about is like, what are athletes left with at the end of their careers? Like everyone has these dreams of being athletes and everybody expects the world out of them, but there's only a very small handful of athletes that actually make enough coin in their professional career to sustain the rest of their lifetime. More often than not, athletes have to either have two careers or take on a career after their professional career. And I think that's an an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I think there's a misconception out there that athletes just have it made in the shade and there's nothing else that they need to do other than perform on the field. Yeah, I I think that is huge. I, I was kind of thinking about that a little bit earlier as well, that, you know, they'll like shut up and dribble. You're not allowed to even have other thoughts except for what your sport is. But even other people that are in other jobs can have, you know, political thoughts and, and racial injustices, which uh, this is off topic, but um, they're, they're not allowed to have anything, but be focused on the sport that people want to be entertained by. Um, yeah, that was a little tangent, but you just made no, me it, but. you we're here to hear <laughs> we've invited you to hear what you think. Sure. Um, um. Okay. So we're, yeah, for what athletes have left us. Uh, what what I am liking that I'm seeing now is that a lot more athletes are creating companies, creating financial literacy, and just creating opportunities for athletes specifically, um, for professional athletes or someone, or even even college, depending on like how big, uh, how big of it, excuse me, how big it was in their lives. Um, because when, when you're done, you have just spent so much time focused on that. Everything you do has to be toward that. Like you said, you're giving up a lot of social interaction. You get called lame all the time for not going out and drinking and that oh, yeah. sort of, you know, which is so, so annoying. But um, you don't always have the proper education of how to, how to one transition you know, what's like, what are the couple most important things that you have to have first? You know, we don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just now, you know, starting to get where I need to have multiple sources of income and I need to have, you know, quote, real jobs lined up for when I'm finished. And I need to be able to have things that I can fall back on. Um, Cause even if, even if athletes hit the end of their career, some, not everyone gets to control that. Not some of it's premature. Or they're oh, yeah. injured, or you just don't, you can't hack it anymore. And some, some players, as soon as, they, if they play professionally, if they played at a really high level, as soon as they're done, they're like, I'm done. I don't want to, I don't want to go back down. Other players will kind of wean themselves out by going to lower levels um, and continuing playing. And then at least you have, I guess, kind of what I'm doing now is I have playing to at least be able to play, but I also know that I still have a career to work on. Um, oh, yeah. so, I mean, I do have, I do have that luxury, but I, I have not done a good job of, I, I'm, I'm very financially illiterate. I don't, you know, I don't know how to invest and I don't have, um, a big nest egg waiting for me when I'm done playing, but that's what I'm trying to change now. So I think I, I, I like that I'm seeing other athletes put together things for current athletes, whether they're done or not have opportunities to learn how to protect themselves. Um, Cause now it's a, you know, especially with NCAA being able to 
to, I, I think their, their athletes can have sponsors and they can get paid. Um, so they have to be able to know what they're doing, but they also have to be able to protect themselves, protect their brand, you know, pr- protect their, just any kind of, um, asset of themselves. And you're not, you're not taught that, you know, there's no subject in school dedicated to that. At least there was yeah. when I was there. It, no, it would seem that like, um, much of the professional world, if you like, you're not going to make it as, as an athlete is like a system of rewards for failure. Like you're almost encouraged to fail in certain enterprises. And as an athlete, you know, failure is like not tolerated. And so all the failure, failure is really just like a learning experience at the end of the day. And so all the failure that you can experience in life, um, you know, whether it's financially or professionally or emotionally or, you know, in, in terms of your health, like, Hey, I'll, I'll know never to go out and, and take uh doubles of coke and rum between 12 and four o'clock again like all those all those opportunities to fail aren't afforded to athletes and um i think it does like put them in a precarious situation because as you mentioned their only asset which is their body might give out uh far too early or at at an unfair time um it kind of dovetails into the question of it, it, and unfortunately, it is different for men and women. But how do m- women make money in athletics? What's that experience been like for you? Um, I I think there's a very small percentage that will get sponsorship um, outside of like as an individual outside of their team. And, you know, even then, are they getting money for it? Or are they just getting, you know, some free gear and some clout? Because um, that's kind of that's a really easy way to, to, you know, to do trades instead of just giving money, depending on how well off your company is. Um, I know that a lot of like the, my, my guy friends who are in USL or NISA, they might have coaching jobs on the side. Uh, I don't see it as often with girls. Um, and I'm, I'm actually not sure why, but I think there's just fewer female coaches in general. Um, but when I was, when I was with the Haitian team and I was with the Chilean team, I did not have side jobs, which in retrospect, I absolutely should have. Um, but I was more paid for, you don't really get very much money at all with the Haitian team. I got a little bit, um, just because it was through WPSL The you know, the Federation was not generous with us at all, but, um, you have, you might have your housing paid for, or you just don't have to pay for anything. Um, and that does help right now. Um, you know, every, there are a lot of my teammates have full-time jobs. They have full-time jobs and um, they just come to practice when they can. We practice really early in the morning or we'll practice at night when people are off of work. Um, and that I have never had to do um, with a, I guess, conventional full-time job. I did... I did the last three years live in Houston and I worked for a startup and I played, um, in the PASL, which is like second division. Um, and it's the, it it was at the time highest level for women to play indoor. Um, but I, I guess I did have a full-time job there. It's a startup. So I was still able to be, to be flexible, but there are times where it's more than a full-time, um, but. Oh yeah. That's part of a startup is like, (laughs) startup can be oftentimes like a a 10 to 12 hour job each day instead of an eight hour job. Yeah. 
And this was, I think, more of the job that I had was, was a lot more mentally draining than necessarily actual work hours draining. So which is probably not better to be able to play. But in the PASL, it's not it's not the most serious league either, uh, which kind of sucked for me since I had, you know, been there and then just kind of coming down to play. Um, but this is, this is my first time telling myself that I need to have multiple sources of income. I need to stay busy and I need to be thinking of what I'm going to do when I'm done playing. Cause I am, I'm very fortunate right now. I have, you know, I signed a, a three-year contract, so I thankfully don't have to worry about the, the one and done like most, most leagues and most contracts that I've had in the past. Um, but by the time that contract is over, I don't, I don't foresee myself being physically able to hang. Um, maybe, but would I still want to? Cause at that point, like I, you know, you do need to, to grow up as, as some older people tell me. You're going to be restricted to playing center back in your next contract. <laughs> That's fine with me. Um, no, I, I get what you're saying. In, in, in my observation, it's, um, there's a very small percentage of uh, male professional athletes that can actually make it playing the game, but there's a significantly smaller percentage of female athletes and even some of the best female athletes. I, I question if that, if they're, you know, like the Alex Morgans of the world are like the, um, really it's like anyone it would seem, but the Megan Rapinos of the world, if they're able to survive strictly off of their playing careers, um, it seems all of them need supplementary income. It's a huge difference between the men and, and women. And I've noticed that many of the women are starting to partner directly with the brands themselves mm-hmm. um, and be almost become like brand ambassadors of say like Nike or Adidas. And I'm hopeful that that's a trend that can continue. But um, what's your experience been like? I mean, do you have friends that you know or colleagues that you know that are very productive women players that can't, can't um, basically afford their futures um, in just playing the game? Um, not that I'm associated with, I cannot, I, I, well, I guess Tiana Endler, the Chilean goalkeeper, she can, (laughs) um, but she is also big time sponsored and, you know, has played at Lyon and PSG, Chelsea, you know, she's, but she's doing it. She's at the highest level of that she can get to. Uh, and she, so she definitely deserves it. Um, but otherwise, I mean, you know, when I, I was in Chile, we'd go, the men have their locker room. And then we had the women's team was in the visiting locker room, which is very, very basic, very like, there's literally nothing in it, but lockers and, and showers. Um, and they get, you know, they get sponsored practice gear. We got, playing white shirts and black shorts and they have, you know, they have their own parking spaces there and they have practice at like 10 AM. Cause they, you know, they didn't need to have jobs. Uh, and I think every one of my teammates there had a job or they were in school. Cause I mean, frankly, they live, they live with their parents till they're married. So they also didn't need a lot of money. And I think, I think that's taken advantage of because the clubs know that they don't need money. So they don't give them a lot. And that's speculating, of course, but it makes sense to me. Um, 
but no, I, I really don't. I, I do not know anyone who was able to do it if you're not on the, the national team um, here. And even even so, like you said, a lot of these national team players, I mean, they have to they have to work their asses off to get to get sponsorships. But I, I I'm not sure if any of them have other side jobs besides things that they've gotten from their personal brand, which is still work and it's still jobs, but I, it's all very related to, to them as a player. Do you have any take? I mean, if you could build the system and, and construct it differently, is there anything that you, you might do differently or anything that you would want to point out in the way that the women's professional league is constructed that you don't appreciate? Um, I, I, I was thinking about this and, it's a little bit conflicted just cause I, you know, I have no business sense. I'm more relationship based. So I just kind of go with what I see. Um, but I think, well, with the, you know, the issues that the national team was having is that the base pays are different between them. And then in turn commissions are different. Bonuses are different, but there's and then are they even being compensated for the same things? So I think that's where you start is at least having uniform contracts, which I don't believe that the women's national team was given. I don't, I, I'm almost positive they, they were not the same types of contracts. So like I said, with our league and NISL, we are contracted the same. And I think that's a big step because it gives the women the respect that they need, not only like us feeling it in general, but also getting it from our, our male team counterparts. Um, I, you know, the money that comes into the clubs, merchandise sales, things like that. And I know that everyone uses the, you know, the TV rights and the money made from that is why there's such a disparity. I feel at some point there still needs to be, more equal distribution. But then mm-hmm. I think there's still, because when I was with the Chilean team, I asked, or the, the club team there, you know, I asked, I'm like, well, can't, you know, there's all on all of our game days, there's all of these camps and clinics that are done, but why can't, why can't we do it? Like the players, why aren't we able to, to do these camps or at least be the ones coaching the kids and then we can make money for our team. And he said, if we make money, it would be for the club as a whole. It wouldn't, there's no way for us to do it specifically just for our team. Yeah. This goes into a lot of like how the systems are, are constructed and it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to imagine that there's even distribution in a lot of these deals if the deals are being constructed to blend everything into a whole and divvy out assets for certain reasons i believe if the women's organizations stood as their own entity or at least had the opportunity to negotiate for their own interests and and represent their own deals and strike their own deals that these things could look a little bit different but um it's hard for me to believe that women are getting um financially the fair shake when they're not representing their own interests or representing their own brand in front of potential consumers or sponsors. So the second that changes, the second that women are striking deals with Nike and Deloitte or negotiating their TV deals 
and they're not doing it through um, a male dominated organization mm-hmm. um, or, an, or, or an archaic organization. I think they're going to be a lot more successful in monetizing their game. And I think that goes right back to what we said at the beginning in the mental health of, of young women, especially those who are entering an angsty stage of their life. There's a lot of judgment when, you know, 14, 15 year old girl is going through high school and is a good athlete. There's a lot of weird judgment from peers. There's a lot of weird judgment from men. It's almost as if that's culturally not a normal thing or not an an attractive thing to do. And if that were a viable career choice and something that were respected more among even just women in general, but of course men as well, you would probably see more leaning into that athletic prowess and, and more wearing, wearing it with pride. Yeah. Yeah, I think you definitely would. Um, because, you know, like, like we'll keep going back to saying is if you don't, you don't feel confident in yourself, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do as well. And there, I think there is so much disrespect for female athletes in general, because, you know, guys are, guys are, you know, they'll fight for, fight for some clout, I think, uh, you know, amongst their teams fighting for playing time, kind of those normal things, but like females are, are, are fighting to be taken seriously just to be on the field, just to be able to have that space to play. And, you know, even, even referees, right. I mean, they start, they started bringing in female referees to, to um, ref during men's games and you start seeing, you know, their pictures in, in their short shorts and everyone's just talking about like, I, you know, I can't get over, I can't get over this hot ref from yesterday's game. And like everyone starts, you know, objectifying this ref and no one's paying attention to like, A, that she's able to do it or like, how well did she do? Like if she did a shit job, then yeah, we can talk about it in that sense. But like they, they start to, they're objectified so much. And that happens outside of athletics as well. But I, I hate, I hate that that's what's, that's what is promoted. You know, if you're an unattractive athlete, you don't, you, you don't get the same amount of opportunities. Yeah, I I totally hear you on that. We should probably do a better job of not making it about appearances. I will note Ryan was a very unattractive athlete and that's why Ryan was never taken seriously in the sporting community. That's that's very poignant of you. Um, one thing I'm I'm noticing it's kind of I feel like a theme through this conversation um, is it's not like you're saying that it needs to be opportunity for like personal enrichment or or that that is like the end goal here. A lot of this seems to tie into like uh, sustainability. Uh, both in terms of, um, you know, having enough money to be able to just concentrate on playing. Uh, and I think there's really an important aspect of um, sustainability in terms of, and I think this ties into what Alex was saying about some autonomy and then sustainability within that to be able to actually, you know, if you can be propping yourself up and not relying upon um, other people, then you have the ability to really, you know, pursue things in a more free, free manner. Uh, and I, I think an inhibiting factor for a lot of that is the type of, um, you know, or lack of respect that, um, that you're highlighting with the, the referee thing and the way that female athletes are, are viewed. Um, and it, it would be better if we, we could, you know, as a society get to a place where 
things aren't viewed so much through that type of lens and it's um you know everybody kind of gets a, a fair shake for for being being who they are and um i mean not to try to tie in all the points that we've gone through uh, in this statement but there's also the 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 mental health side of stuff is you know there's a lot of stigmatate stig stigmatizing around around that and not an acceptance of just letting people be who they are and and mm-hmm. accepting of that so yeah i mean that's that's kind of my assessment of of all of this in general yeah and I mean, we are all guilty of it. It is easy for me to to sit here and look at it under a lens and and, and kind of chastise everyone else. I mean, we all we've all been there, and we've all given more attention to to people and things that are are, are more attractive in that sense, or you know, showing a, a disrespect, even even the other way. You know, I I, I you never want to say it's all one hundred percent one way or the other, but. It, it it even kind of reminds me, you know that movie, um, League of Their Own? Of course you do, right? Oh, hell yeah. That's got, <laughs> doesn't it have Rosie O'Donnell? It does. It does. Oh, yeah. And a lot of Still it was- crying in baseball. Filmed, a lot of it was filmed um, in the, the small little town right next to me. Fun fact. But um, they have, they have the girl, I forget her name now. I feel bad that I forget. Um, but she's- She's not, she's not very attractive and, and ladylike because her dad even admits, like, I kind of raised her as a boy and they're going through their like etiquette training and they're like, oh, what do you suggest for this woman? And saying like, oh, you know, um, separate her eyebrows a little bit or clean up this hair or some makeup here. And they're like, well, what do you um, suggest for her? And she's like, a lot of night games. Like, it's just, it already showed right then and there that they almost weren't going to take her. Because she wasn't yep. attractive. Wasn't she the one hitting all the home runs, though? She was yeah, the slugger. She was. Yeah, she was yeah. so good, though. But, like, they were willing. <laughs> even the, even in the first 10 minutes of the movie, the guy, and I know it's a movie. And I know it's supposed to be funny. But, like, and I do laugh at it. But it's, like, from the, the get-go, he was kind of like, eh, I'm not going to take her. And they're like, you mean you, you ain't taking her because she ain't pretty? Like, <laughs> right away. Right away. And so it's like, you almost, she is like, she had to be that good. You know, she had to be better, way better than everyone else because of that. Yeah, that's, that's totally, that's totally the case when I see women's sports. Um, yeah, there's always players that have to do just like exceptional things to get on the field. And it's kind of like, well, why? Yeah. Um, there's already an inferiority complex in, in a lot of females too, right? Like we're, we're kind of conditioned that we're we're not as good and so we we have to get over that as well regardless of what you look like you have to you kind of have to get through through that point knowing that we do we do belong and there there should be a respect point you know if you're and and what's i don't i guess i don't really understand the point of of disrespecting disrespecting athletes in general but female athletes because you know, if you're just mad that a girl gets to play a sport at a professional level and you didn't, I mean, I guess. I'm going to have to cool it on my Twitter burner account. <laughs> <laughs> um, Twitter's the worst, but I love it. It is. Yeah, me too. I love it. It's so addicting. I got a problem. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this. What do you think the ideal fan looks like? We asked this question to a lot of people, but what do you think the ideal fan looks like? And I'm going to 
divvy this up by male fan and female fan. So why don't you start with the ideal male, male fan? What do you think they need to start keeping in mind? And what does the ideal male fan look like? Like a male fan of women's sports or in general? Both. Maybe maybe that's part of the answer is like pay a little bit of attention to women's sports. Yeah. Yeah. If we're talking women's sports, you know, just the just almost just an appreciation. You don't have to love it. You know, I know a lot of people say they just can't get into the game, but it's just if there could just be more of a mutual respect or, you know, if there are good plays, you know, ESPN throws a couple of female plays on their top 10, they deserve to be there. Um, so, I mean, respect obviously is, is a big one, but I, I didn't always feel this way, but now I think now with the, the last two, three, four years, you feel like you just, you want fans, even male or female, regardless, to appreciate the athletes as people and not just not just the sport that they play. And if that might be asking a lot. Um, and if you're if you're not someone who feels that maybe they do just wanna disappear from everything that they're dealing with, they just want to watch a basketball game because they love basketball, that's great. But but if you disrespect some of the aspects of the athletes, how can I, I guess I just need to be more specific, right? So we, you know, we've had a lot of the race relations in the last couple of years, well, obviously forever, but being highlighted on, on social media, you know, them, a lot of people saying they don't want to hear it. They don't want to deal with it. Or even the, when a lot of the teams bring out their, their rainbow flag, captain's bands or their laces they're like i don't want to deal i don't want to deal with that i don't want to have to look at it it's like well you you like the athletes of the teams that you're watching and maybe you didn't know their orientation or you don't really pay attention to their race but when they are trying to speak out on something or show support of something how can you not support that yourself and if you don't believe in it then I guess just try to have that separation. If that makes yeah. sense. Like instead of just. That makes sense. Yeah. So appreciate it. Try to understand it, even though it might not be your MO, have a little bit of respect for what's going on and, and try to at least make sense of it and step outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And, and I understand that certain things do come from pretty strong beliefs, but I guess instead of chastising them or being, being a dickhead about it, you just, Maybe just look the other way. I mean, you don't you don't want people to do that necessarily, but I'd rather someone ignore it than be the problem against it. Yeah, it's uh, interesting here because people tend to adopt the mentality of wanting athletes to kind of stay in their box more or less. And, mm-hmm. and like you had said, people just want to zone out and watch their game, which is all good and well. But it's very odd to uh, be somebody who just wants to keep the athlete in their box, zone out and watch their game but then engage with everything when it's presented to them. Um, you know, there's a little bit of a, of a double standard that's going on there. If you're yeah. really just want to zone out and not worry about the, the tangential portions of it, then, then do that. Don't complain about how others aren't allowing you to do that. It's kind yeah. of up to you to do that. Yeah. And I guess just, I mean, I feel like that's, that's a pretty heavy answer but more on 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 the lighter side just just some just some loyalty 
just some loyalty. If you're going to, you know, be the ideal fan, you're just, you know, especially in Indiana, I'm very aware of fair weather fans and how most people complain more than praise the teams that they've been a part of their whole life. And I think, I think fans are allowed to be upset. I think they're allowed to have some passion toward it. Um, Cause I, I don't think it should go without at all. You know, if it's, you know, if the team is losing consistently, then there's probably something wrong going on, but just, just some loyalty, you know, especially, especially with female sports, you know, we're, if our team isn't good because of, who we've got or because of the system or because of what's going on in the front office, that's not always on, that's not always our fault. So if you're, you know, someone in the front office does something you don't like and everyone starts to boycott it, well, that's hurting the athletes. You're not necessarily hurting, you might be hurting the club, but I mean, we still have to show up and we still have to, to do our job until the team is just no longer. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe fans could keep in mind that there's a difference between the club and the player and try to, you know, if they respect the game and they respect the players going out there and doing their best, try to have some grace um, and understand the difference and how the behaviors impact each each party, both the player and the and the club. Yeah. Um, Alexis, this has been an awesome opportunity I, i'm so thankful that you came on and you know worked with us around scheduling and like <laughs> took took the time to get to know the agenda and the technology like it's all it was awesome speaking with you um as we're nearing the end of the the time together i mean do you have any any closing remarks or any anything that you would like to comment on um god we did we got to cover a lot of a lot of great stuff and i really enjoyed this conversation um I think without beating it, beating a dead horse, as they say, you know, just, just, just as, as we do, you have to educate yourselves on, on the tough issues and the tough situations, you know, before you just chime in and, and give your opinion, because it's something you don't, you don't agree with, but you don't know anything about. Um, and I, I think that goes farther than athletics as well, but I just, I, I do hope that people find ways to be a little more patient with each other. Um, I think, you know, a lot of athletes do have to, to find that as well. You know, sometimes it seems like our, our job is so instantaneous because we don't, not everyone has the the luxury of, you know, being at a team for a long time or a club for a long time and, and allowing those things to happen. But just in general, I, I do hope that people take time to, to slow down and understand each other and understand the sports, you know, the differences between men's women's. And if there are ways that, that any individual knows how to help or can, can support that disparity, you know, whether it's the, you know, the, the pay gap or just support, you know, there are, there are so many teams and clubs that don't get the, the spotlight very often. And so you don't, you might not know about them, but, um, I'm going off a rail right now, but that's, no, it's totally <laughs> cool. I get what you, that's kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on is like, we want to, we suggest that we would offer that our, the, the, our moms and dads who are the ones listening to this, um, 
my dad stopped listening a long time ago, so it's just my mom and Ryan's parents at this point. Um, but that they would start to endorse uh, local their local programs and their local athletes. And um, I'm very interested in what's happening with the women's league right now. I see a ton of reform around it, and everything that you've said is is pretty close in line with the way that I feel. Um, namely, that I think fans should be supporting players and brands should be supporting players. Ryan, what's your take? Uh, Alexis, I really liked what you said about the uh, self-education portion of it. Mm-hmm. When um, Al and I talk and ask this question often of what does the ideal fan look like, we more often than not end up circling around to somebody that's willing to uh, become informed and and make their, their passion um, you know, something that they're not just flailing around with that they they tend to to be informed and be able to make you know good decisions and and support things that they really believe in and as alex is talking about as well engaging in a in a local sense um you know with the people around you to try to to make things better um so i really appreciate you you coming on uh giving us a a bunch of new information actually you know learning about things from your perspective is is how we become uh, better fans and and learn more about you know what the what the different aspects of soccer, the game we all love, is like, and then also just in general learning what what other people are like and and how they view the world. So yeah, I want to thank you for that. Yeah, and and likewise, thank you guys for for opening yourselves up to it. It was a really good conversation. I can't promise that we won't circle around with you in the future and give you some <laughs> calendar nightmares and technology nightmares, but um, it will be for the right reasons. And that's to advance, you know, y- your position in things and, and um, to, to make a statement for the women's game. But um, again, can't thank you enough for being here and um, you know, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Yeah, that sounds great. I look forward to it. All right, gang. We'll talk soon. Sounds good.